Hi everybody! Welcome to Nature Match Cuts, the podcast exploring marvels of biodiversity and fascinating cultural heritage. Listen to inspiring stories from the intersections of science and nature writing, cultural knowledge and art. I am Petra van Kronenburg, a journalist and nature lover. I'm broadcasting directly from the nature park Vosges du Nord in eastern France with its richness of landscapes and historical finds. In a confusing and challenging time of crisis and multiple transitions, we need to overcome the obstacles on our way to solutions and change our anthropocentric and disconnected view of life. The more than human life should get a strong voice of storytelling. You can make the difference. Reconnect to nature with me. Reconnecting to nature means love and compassion, means sensing our kinship, our connections with a modern human life. Only if we feel connected to our natural and social environments, we can find and implement solutions, because we are driven to protect what we love from the bottom of our hearts. Hi nature lovers! I'm so glad about your following my feed to listen to episode 3, the sequel to the last one. Perhaps you remember walking with my dog Bilbo and me into the forest to sit with a tree and change our perspective about nature. We ended our exploration with intriguing particles of stardust, the so-called building blocks of life. Today we want to look in the opposite direction, into the mirror. Amidst fungi, mycelium and soil life, trees and forests, planets and stardust, we are amazingly self-confident. We believe we know what makes us who we are. I am Petra van Kronenburg, and at the moment I sit in a small village in eastern France. You have names too, and you are connected to a place. If you can, touch yourself and you will be sure that you didn't feel a tree, a beetle or perhaps an alien. Aren't we all Homo sapiens, human beings? In the episodes of today and next month, I would like to smash that notion. 
after this episode, you will look at yourself in the mirror with new eyes. I promise you. I want to show that you are made of rather little human stuff. It is this non-human diversity too that makes us human. So, listen to episode three. Sitting with your body mates. Shift your perspective by looking deeper into your skin. Let's begin in nature. We already learned about the mycelium of fungi working like a wood-wide web between plants and trees. In the last episode, I asked if we only could hear this wonder of nature like a language. What would it sound like? Would fungi talk like music, words, or in mathematical equations of chemical particles? We human beings move in networks of communications too, as autumn starts with the first rain after the drought, mushrooms grow everywhere, and people collecting mushrooms meet and talk. There was a moving encounter a few years ago that I will never forget. I learned a lot about transience and the comforting return of mushrooms. Of mushrooms, dogs and soil. It was in November after a drought, miraculously raining again in the morning. And then came weather with sunshine and dramatic light, with distant views of the Vosch Mountains and the Black Forest alike. A little later than usual, I set off with Bilbo, my dog, like many elderly who set out to pick mushrooms. We drove out to meadows with a beautiful view. Mushrooms are fascinating creatures. They don't need much. A little moisture after this drought is all it takes for the invisible mycelium, which is alive and kicking in the soil, to stretch its fruiting bodies out of the earth. I know too little about edible mushrooms and don't dare to collect them. But even I could imagine that the thick white lumps, often the size of a hand, could be field or meadow mushrooms. And there was an aged man with a basket and a knife saying hello, because he had already approached in parallel, although the meadow was so huge, it was clear he was not afraid of the dog, but probably wanted to chat. I asked him if the harvest is good, and he nods. This is the weather for field mushrooms, warm enough that they would explode now. Unusual for November. I'm walking in a sweatshirt at almost 20 degrees Celsius. The man eyes Bilbo curiously, who wants to approach to get stroked. But I always keep the dog at a distance first. Not everyone likes dogs, 
that want cuddles. Whether he would be friendly, he asks, and I say yes, I only don't want him to jump up on people. And then Bilbo has to sit down and finally is cuddled. He has also a dog. And now I finally have a clue for a chat, which is not so easy. I often don't understand the elderly as such very well when they want to speak French. They are not used to it and have an extreme accent. But he only speaks French because I started it and he doesn't want to embarrass himself. And I'm too stupid to switch to dialect. How old his dog is? Oh yes, 16. is a proud age. And then he digresses, tells me that he is the farmer who owns the land here and now in his old age he only rents out meadows for horses. Grinning, he points to the slope where a pair of horses has moved out, carefully and anxiously enjoying their freedom between two villages and a forest. He says nothing to the horse owner. These horses should still enjoy their liberty because the guy beats them and that's why they don't want to stay, he tells me. And his gaze wanders along the slope over his meadows which he has mown himself for so many years. He had taken his dog with him until recently, but he was now too old for such long walks, and he had to walk far to pick enough mushrooms for the evening meal. He cuddles Bilbo again. I notice he misses his dog, and he tells me, that the neighbor comes every morning with his dog so that the old guy can play with the neighbor's buddy. He can still play and walk as far as the meadow, but then he gets tired. Then he will hopefully have a good long life, I say. What else do you wish for in such a case when you know how it is with aging dogs? and you suffer that their lives are so limited. He wants to walk as much and as often as possible, to visit his ground, feel the soil, says the man, who has a soft, brittle voice. One hardly believes the strength with which he makes the rounds. When he comes home, he always tells his dog about the land, how the grass is standing, and what is growing. His old dog should also get something out of it, even if he can no longer walk. After all, he doesn't know who will go first, because the cancer is ravaging his body. Later, I leave him with a thick dumpling in my throat, wishing him all the best. He completely absorbs himself again in the sight of the freshly sprouting green of his meadows 
and the blue sky above with the dramatic clouds. Then he kneels again, devoutly, as in church, kneels and looks and carefully cuts the next mushroom. The man and his dog no longer live. We all know that our bodies transform back to nature after we are gone. Whether burial or cremation, whether helped by other living beings, bacteria or fire, in the end, the famous building blocks of life remain. You could learn about them in the last episode. There's no life on earth without these building blocks of life. And there's no human body without them. In this sense, we are actually made of stardust, if you understand it as these elements that came to us by far distant supernovae. Today, and in the next sequel, I want to tell you about extremely tiny organisms that help you become a human creature and die with you, or even can help to disintegrate you after death. If you have any phobias about microorganisms, perhaps you better listen any further. But if you want to reconnect with nature, even the tiniest forms of life are part of it. They are part of us and our environment, essential for survival. Before we look into our bodies in October, let us take a mirror today. It is about our skin, our face. There's a well-known system of balance, which we like to support with cosmetics called the acid mantle. Wikipedia tells us the acid mantle is an extremely fine and slightly acidic film on the surface of human skin. It acts as a barrier to harmful bacteria, viruses and other potential contaminants that might penetrate the skin. Even though the cosmetics industry promises us a lot, Science today is not at all sure about the ideal and natural pH value of the acid mantle. However, a healthy acid mantle is responsible for the balance of the microflora on our skin. And only if this microflora is doing well is our skin fine, without any cream. Human skin lives in symbiosis with its microflora, providing the ideal environmental condition. In turn, the microflora strengthens the skin defense. That's done by preventing harmful bacteria from colonizing our skin. Microflora is the technical term for the whole collection of bacteria, fungi, one-celled organisms and even viruses. If this 
microscopic life should frighten us. Without these good guys, we could not survive. But this microflora is not the only life on our skin. This beneficial mixture can still be defined as typically human. But there are also alien creatures living on our skin. Real animals. They belong to the so-called arthropods. Under a microscope, you can see the tiniest soft animals having a segmented body and eight paired jointed legs. Enlarged, they look as cute as tardigrades. Only their pretty long body is ringed and tapered. Earth historically, they colonize ridiculously young organisms. Because arthropods have been around far longer than humans. Let's round the number boldly. The oldest fossils of arthropods are over 500 million years old. This time, named the Cambrian period, was an era of profound change in life on Earth. The rapid diversification of life forms in the Cambrian, known as the Cambrian Explosion, produced the first representatives of all modern animals. Are you ready to touch your living body mates? If they were human, they could laugh their heads off at our hubris and tell us about the millions of years without humans on Earth. They could reveal why evolution lets them live with Homo sapiens so intimately and throughout our lifetime. They are firstly transmitted from mother to baby. So, Don't be afraid. You need them as much as they need you. Stroke your cheek. Gently touch your forehead or the nose. You don't feel them because these little animals are too tiny. And they have retreated into the safety of your skin pores at daylight. You only recognize the presence of these little organisms when you have certain rare diseases. We are talking about tiny mites of the species Demodex. To be more precise, Demodex follicorum. They made headlines in the summer when an exciting study appeared in June 2022. It was published in Molecular Biology and Evolution. You can find the link in the episode description. This study analyzed the genome of the little guys for the first time and amazing findings were made. But let's look back to our skin. The fluffy but nearly hairless demodex live with about 90% of all people. They are most abundant on our nose and forehead and love your ear canals and nipples. 
They know where they can eat their one and only food. If you powder your face, you may have been annoyed that especially your forehead and nose are so shiny. Maybe you have scared of Demodex? They eat nothing but the so-called sebum, this greasy, waxy substance that special skin cells beside the hair follicle secrete. Sebum protects the skin and helps to form the acid mantle we just heard about. The mites look for shelter in the areas where most of your sebum is produced. Too much sebum makes the skin greasy, clogs the pores and disturbs the natural balance. We can get blackheads or even acne. We usually react to this with cosmetics that promise that much, but sometimes disturb the balance even more. After all, the little grease eaters we need are already sitting in our skin. Some scientists believe that Demodex only benefits from us, but we do not receive anything in return. Some studies, however, show a connection to their food, our sebum. Ideally, we live in symbiosis with these tiny body mates. We deliver their favorite food, and Demodex feeds on a surplus of this waxy fat. The tiny creatures are very discreet in their behavior. During the day, They loll deep in the hair follicle in sebum to feed. We do not notice this and are not at all annoyed with droppings. Demodex has a rudimentary digestive tract but no anus. It simply can't poop. But they can have sex. We talk about this later. You are listening to Nature Match Cuts, the podcast reconnecting you to nature. I am Petra van Gronenburg, broadcasting directly from the nature park Vosges du Nord in eastern France. Do you know that we have also a community and a blog? Find everything about this podcast, Nature Match Cuts, at naturematchcuts.com. Net. Don't forget to subscribe for the free newsletter. And you can also become a supporter for my work. Thank you. And now, back to Demodex Follicorum and our skin. Probably you ask curiously, how did I get them? They are non-human animals, aren't they? Among the arthropods, they belong to the class of the so-called arachnids. So they are, in a way, the cousins of spiders and ticks. 
As we have seen, they seem dinky and rather like tardigrades. So one does not suspect this relationship at first sight. Unlike their relatives, they do not occur anywhere in the wild and live exclusively on humans. Probably you get your first individual allotment of demodex mites from your mother. It's not sure if they are already transferred by birth, but at the latest by maternal skin contact and breastfeeding. You remember the nipples. Intensive skin contact with other people theoretically could be another way. About 90% of all people have demodex as body mates. Many fewer people host demodex brevis, a shorter species. This is not an infection or infestation, as you often read on the internet, but a natural occurrence. Demodex is part of Homo sapiens. Co-author Dr. Alejandra Perdotti told the press that we should be happy to live with these harmless creatures. She said, they are very tiny and cute. They clean our pores and keep them flat. Our individual childhood population seems to reproduce nearly without gene boosting from outside. And that is exactly what is becoming a problem. Demodex could be threatened with extinction, says the new study. You remember, they live as singles deep in your skin and leave the follicle only during the night. Mostly, they stay inside and come out only to ramble around and have sex or lay eggs. Even that you don't feel. A female demodex has a maximum speed of 16 millimeters per hour. If a demodex wants to move from your forehead to the tip of your nose, it would have to walk at least 50 hours. It can walk only in the dark and when you are asleep. If you sleep about seven hours a night, the exhausted demodex had to wander for more than a week. They have to hurry up to meet sex partners, for the lifespan of an adult is only one or two weeks. The female mite lays about 24 eggs. Even the eggs look very cute. They are heart-shaped. Another 20 days, says the study, takes from egg to larva to nymph to the adult mite. This is enormously complicated for such a tiny organism. Of course, the scientists were curious and did more mathematics. Assuming approximate values of lifespans, they found out that a mother can transmit demodex to her newborn that already live in the fourth hundred generation on her. And if you have an average lifespan, you were the host of more than 1000 generations of demodex when you die. Your faithful companions 
will die with you. And here we come to our problem again. The study with the title Ectoparasites Becoming Symbionts researched the mice genome and its consequences on their lives. They found that human follicular mites have the lowest repertoire of proteins in the DNA seen in any insect, arachnid or crustacean so far. It is complicated for them to find sexual partners even on one human body. However, genetic diversity only arises if more mites would migrate from outside. It is similar to what used to happen in completely isolated mountain villages. If only the villages of a tiny population ever produce children, this leads to inbreeding. And if a whole species suffers from inbreeding, it could come to an evolutionary dead end, the potential extinction. The scientists searched for signs that we could experience biodiversity loss on our skin. They looked for reductions and could identify two important ones. First, Demodex mites today have fewer muscle cells in their legs. This could mean that they leave their follicular dwelling less often and are less mobile. And that means less sex, fewer baby mites. Second, scientists propose a reduction of their eye structures or photoreceptors. If this worsens, there could also be an extinction. But there are also good news. In Demodex, the brain doesn't present a reduction in the number of cells. Its brain occupies a large volume in relation to the total body size. Demodex also lost their protection gene against ultraviolet light. So they have to stay inside our skin during the day. But they can no longer see when night falls with reduced eye cells. They can already no longer wake up or rest on their own. Their perception runs via the recognition of hormones we secrete through the skin when we sleep. Demodex recognizes melatonin. These organisms have thus become totally dependent on us. Only while we sleep can they have sex or lay eggs. And only If they are connected in perfect symbiosis with us, they can do it. Thus, human follicular mites have become a part of our body. But this development puts them at risk. They could become completely isolated singles with more and more reduced proteins in their DNA. And then, who will eat the surplus of our sebum, who will clean and flatten our pores. Their role is to keep our pores with follicles unplugged, so the study. 
some people could perhaps be happy about an extinction. Perhaps you heard about a disease called demodicosis that can become chronic. The bad news is that it comes from these mites. In people with demodicosis, the mites reproduce more frequently, the populations grow too much and they get out of balance. The good news is that this disease is rare and happens only in people with an immunodeficiency condition. New studies show that it becomes a problem for people with a so-called gain-of-function mutation in their immune response. The exact correlations are still unclear. Demodicosis can become a problem under immunosuppressants or chemotherapy or people having HIV, AIDS or rosacea. The symptoms appear suddenly, often with a burning sensation or itchiness of the skin of the face and nipples, sometimes with pustules, redness or a rough feeling like sandpaper. The more mites eat sebum, the drier the skin. The disease is diagnosed by skin biopsy and often treated with an acaricide, a pesticide against one group of mites. But don't panic. With an intact immune system, you will not have any problems. Demodex are a natural part of humans. As we have seen, they'll keep the balance if our body keeps it. We and Demodex are symbionts. This example teaches us that the threatening with extinction of only one species becomes a problem for the natural balance. Other dependent species could vanish too. You have seen, even if you feel disgust about an animal, even if some people can perhaps become ill by contact, that animal is as important as all these fluffy, cuddly, baby-like animals in social media. If you lose your Demodex, you'll have no more pore cleaner. You'll have no more body mates who are able to eat only the excess of sebum. And it is far from being researched what else our cohabitants do for healthy skin and hair. So let's dive deeper in October. In our next episode, I want to take you on a journey deep into your body. And we will hear what the microorganisms there have to do with Madame Opla, who is exploding in my kitchen. Stay tuned, because I'll also tell you secrets about the traditional sourdough preparation here in the French countryside in Alsace. I'm looking forward to meet you again.